Welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, everyone. I have with me Mr. Dean McKillop, my co-host as always, and a very special guest, Mr. John. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me here, guys. Mr. One, John sounds good. Mr. John sounds very formal, doesn't it? It does. I can do that. Uh, <laughs> one of the girls from jujitsu uh, that I roll with actually put us in contact and I wasn't actually familiar with your stuff until she said, I think John would make a great, a great guest. And so I checked your stuff out and um, yeah, really pumped to have you on and share something a little different with our audience today. Very much so. Yeah. Usually we've got power lifters and bodybuilders and other coaches on. And from what I understand of your content, you're a mindset coach. Um, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm John, Mr. John, as they call me, and um, <laughs> I yeah, I am a I am a mindset coach. It's it's a weird space. It's like life coaching, high performance mindset coaching. Um, that's my space. I come from a very athletic background, uh, from the military, and then bodybuilding, and then CrossFit, uh, and even strongman as well. Um, and then I did my Guinness World Record. So came through the athletic background and realized I, I became a certified hypnotherapist. And then I realized that I wanted that tool to help athletes. And I realized that through doing NLP training and uh, hypnotherapy training that everybody could do with a coach. And I have a quote that it's, it's, it's no longer a privilege. It's a necessity to have a coach. And I'm sure if you work with athletes, maybe I'm, I'm sure you probably coach athletes that just having a coach in all aspects of life is just, a game changer. It's someone that sees things differently than you do, has the tools to help you get what you want, and you can just reach your goals so much faster. Um, so that's what I do. That's what I help people with. Cool. We initially, when we started Flex Success, had two tiers. One tier was if all you needed was um, prescriptive advice on your nutrition. Hey, eat this or eat to these numbers or whatever. Yeah. And another tier if you needed a bit more support. And very quickly, we learned that everyone needed a bit more support and we got rid of the first year. And yep. so we totally agree that everyone could do with a coach. And I don't think coaching people is just giving them a meal plan. Yeah. Not it's, at all. It's an interesting space in nutrition one because the theoretical part of it is actually kind of easy. Eat more vegetables, eat less. You know, like it's not hard. Like <laughs> yeah. But it's the implementation and consistency of implementation that takes the most amount of work. And that's really more about having conversations than it is telling people what to do. Hey, I'm interested. What's your Guinness World Record? Um, I'm sure you know an exercise called a muscle-up. So it was a, a ring a ring muscle-up, but strict. So without doing a kit, uh, 24 hours, as many as possible, just around the clock. How many did you do? That's gross. Guess. Too many is my guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> 1,025. What does that, that's a lot. Yeah. What does that work out to be per minute? It's less than one a minute, actually. Oh, okay. so my so so still so one a minute for twenty four hours straight. Still impressive. Ah, uh, <laughs> my my strategy was one a minute for forty five minutes, and then fifteen minutes to like go to the toilet, eat some food, and like I had to keep taping up my wrists where they kept sort of the, the skin would come off. Mm. So just I did that, and I maintained it on the last minute of the forty five. I did a double just for like morale, and then. <laughs> At, at the like 16 hour mark, 
my I started getting DOMS from the day before. So it's like my DOMS kicked in while I was still going. Oh, no. And yeah, that, that's, it started to get hard. My, my hands really ripped then and I had to take like 30 minutes to get like the skin cut off and retaped up. And that's when the pace slowed down a bit. Um, and I had my partner at the time, I got her to do the maths. Like how many do I need to do? Cause I had to get over a thousand to set the record. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do the maths, do the maths. And it came to it that I, could no longer take rests. I literally just had to do one a minute. So that's what I did. I just, from that point on for those hours, I just did one a minute for as long as I could. I probably failed about eight over the whole 24 hours. Um, but yeah, got there in the end. What was the aftermath? So I couldn't, I couldn't open door handles. So obviously that pulling and then pressing, it's like the long head of tricep was just, devastated um but wrists because you're doing it with what's called a false grip it's not your hand holding the ring it's your wrist and so i couldn't i couldn't drive a car i couldn't open door i had to open door handles with my elbows i love this (laughs) (laughs) yeah so for the first my my partner helped me for the first few days until the acute inflammation went away um and then i then i got into it but it was like have you seen that movie? Like, I think it's called Scream or Scary Movie, where that guy's got his like little hand, like his it little claw. strong hand. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was like that, um, and I couldn't drive. But but I think about four weeks, and I was, it was kind of just achy, but I could function. Mm. Mm. That's good. four weeks or so. <laughs> do you, do you, you still have it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I've still got it. Um, I mean. From doing CrossFit, I, the reason I did the Guinness World Record, one, because I wanted to set one before I died. Two, I'd kind of, I was in a toxic relationship and my, I'd lost my mojo and I needed something to like stimulate me. So I, I went, I decided, you know, 12 months prior, I'd do that. But I also wanted to do something I love because in CrossFit, you're always working on your weaknesses. So it's like, it can be not that enjoyable training sometimes. Um, so I wanted to do something I loved, which was muscle up. So I'm, I'm pretty good at them. I'm ex-military, so 24 hours of like hard work is right up my alley. So I think someone they'd have to be a bit of a beast to to get there. Would you go back, Adam, if they beat it? No, no. I think that would be an that would be an ego play. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, the aftermath. I want to find like the most ridiculous Guinness World Record that I think I could beat. Yeah. Like how i don't know the most amount of dogs i can hug in one one day what about the the hottest temperature coffee you can drink i probably already hold that i drink straight out of the kettle you know john no you do not (laughs) i do well i pour it into a mug obviously but yeah (laughs) but i think your mouth made of what's your mouth made of asbestos is what i claim her and and my mother they have asbestos now (laughs) oh yeah it's a princess mouth it's got to be like room temperature i'm the same (laughs) i cannot do heat (laughs) like (laughs) need to like put ice on it first okay Uh, i'll look that up in the guinness world record hottest drink ever that's a fun when liz used to make me tea that is a fatal that is a fatal decision that you could be making though also you know so okay it can't be as bad as I don't know what country it was, but there was a country that I once saw a small doctor on where if they thought the female was um, cheating on the husband, they would take a cast iron out of fire and put it on her tongue. And if her tongue blistered, she was cheating. If it didn't, she wasn't. Oh, what? Mm. 
That's a surefire way to so they, say so they'll, they'll beat you straight away. <laughs> You're not going to win that battle. Oh, God. Uh, Far out. And I'm also interested, what got you into hypnotherapy? I wanted to understand athletes better because I was, I was training athletes and some of them would get great results and others wouldn't. And I was like, this is, there's a level above the training and nutrition. Like, what's going on? And so I wanted to learn about the mind and my, my, well, he's now my friend. I met a guy and he was a hypnotherapy teacher and it just was just the perfect timing. And I signed up for the course and went and learned it. Um, so that's what it was. Yeah. Just trying to understand athletes more and, and mindset more. Mm, okay. And I know nothing about hypnotherapy is talk to me about my idea is that it's a bit voodoo because I see people try it on stage like, and now you're a chicken, cluck like a chicken. Expel some myths for me. Okay. So the, 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 when you see someone in a trance, so that's when they're, that's when they're implanting the commands into them. If the person's in a trance, they're going to be in like an alpha theta brain state, which is with our brainwaves, delta is a slow brainwave. That's when we're asleep. And then theta is the next one that's really drowsy. It's still slow. Alpha is a relaxed state, which is a bit faster. And then beta brainwave is when, our, when we're active. Like now we're in, we're in beta, we're doing stuff. As children, like newborns would be delta. That's why they sleep so much. They're in delta a lot of the time. Um, and then uh, like after sort of two years old or, or between one to two, they'll switch into a primarily a delta. And then after that, it's sort of, uh, correction, delta, theta. And then after that, it's kind of theta alpha. And all of those brainwave states are input states. So that's when, that's why children just absorb. They could learn like 10 languages if you had the time to teach them 10 languages because their brain is in a state where it's, it's not outputting. When they hit about teenage years is when they go full beta. And that's why you get, you know, the teenage, the know-it-all, the know-it-all is because they stop having the input and absorbing and they start having an output brainwave. So, so hypnosis is getting someone into a theta brainwave. And of course the person has to want to do it. Like they have to want to be, be being hypnotized. So you'll bring someone into a theta brainwave, which is ultimately single focus, narrowing focus, relaxing, calming, and that's going to bring someone into a theta brainwave. And then you can plant suggestions into the person's mind because they're in an absorb absorption state. And if they, if they, um, if there's enough leverage there, like if there's enough reason for them to absorb the, the embedded command, it's called, they're going to believe that to be true and act in that way if you're doing stage hypnosis which is very different to like clinical hypnosis where you're actually doing therapy with people but um that's that's ultimately what hypnosis is and what might be a command like your rape was not your fault or you are not a smoker or something like that yes yeah, so it can be it can be smoking is the most disgusting poisonous despicable thing and it's it's costing your family uh, it's costing your children their future, you know, financial freedom, whatever you, so, so you obviously get to know your client. And if someone, because what someone values is the point of leverage. So for example, if you value hot coffee, that would be like a point of leverage for you. If I was, if I wanted to make you do something, I could say, look, I'll buy you a hot coffee. If you do this, you're going to be like, I'll do it. Right. And so when you get to know your client, you find out where their leverage points are and then you plant commands in that ultimately leverage them to create the change. 
Mm. Is the impact more acute or long-term? Or is it like something you have to repeat? It depends. So repetition or like intensity same as training right mm. you, you you either do high volume kind of training or you do high intensity lower volume and that's like your total you know your total kilo especially if you're working with power lifters um you, you base a session on like tonnage right mm. so same with changing someone's mindset it, if it's intense enough the change will be instant if it's not so intense it's going to need more volume more repetition and what i mean by that is if you if you went swimming on your surfboard and a shark came up and ate the person next to you, that's going to be really freaking intense. And when I talk about intensity, it's emotional intensity. So that's really intense. So you're going to be like, Oh my God, I'm never surfing again. Like surfing is dangerous. That could be a belief you then have. Whereas if you just tell people, look, surfing's really dangerous. If it's got no emotional intensity to it, it's going to, it's, it's like hitting a nail into a piece of wood one or two it can kind of fall out but if you keep hitting it home that belief is really going to sink into someone i understand okay do you find that your time doing um hypnotherapy as the hypnotherapist has helped you in your current mindset coaching or do you feel like they're separate totally interlinked okay so there's conversational hypnotherapy now which can be just when you're communicating with someone it, it, it's called milton model language it's a type of language pattern that puts someone into a trance like right now both of you are absorbing what i'm saying and so i could literally be lying to you about all of the stuff i just said but because your analytical minds are down i could have literally just lied about everything and you'll be like yeah yeah and then you you believe it to be true because i've just told you it ultimately that's hypnosis so if you if there's someone that you trust they are ultimately hypnotizing you because you are not sort of challenging their view and you're open to learning. So conversational is my favorite because people don't even know what's happening. Does that mean that people with like a really analytical mind, maybe those that are scientifically trained are harder to hypnotize? Yes. Yeah. Less suggestible. So the more analytical your mind is, the less suggestible you are, the less analytical you are, the more suggestible you are. Hmm. Yeah. Because so I can imagine like my brain is trying to think, oh, no, it's interesting. What about this? And then what about that? As opposed to just thinking, that's true. Oh, interesting. Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm. There you go. Yeah. My only exposure to hypnosis was like I mentioned on TV, but now I've thought of another one. My, my friend, Tony from high school, her dad was into hypnotherapy as well as being a black belt in karate. Did you know that? There you go. Fun fact. And uh, I spent some time with her family and he did this one thing on me where he said, okay, now hold up a bucket. And for those not watching on YouTube and just listening, I'm holding my arm up like parallel to the ground. And he goes, now I'm, you know, imagine you're holding the bucket, close your eyes. I'm pouring a bit of water into the bucket. The bucket's getting heavier. Anyways, at the time I was like, oh my goodness, I could actually feel this bucket getting heavier. But now that I'm a little bit older and I reflect on that, I'm like, I was just holding my arm up and my adult was getting fatigued. Like, of course the bucket was feeling heavier. So I thought hypnotherapy is bullshit because that was my only exposure to it. But of cool. course, I'm sure there's, there's a lot more. Yeah, there is. But that, that is an <laughs> that's an activity you can do with people for sure. To, 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 so, so before you hypnotize someone, you do a suggestibility test. And that is one of the suggestibility tests. So if you can take them through a simple test like that, and they are feeling the bucket getting heavier, or you can do ones with like having your hands glued together. So if they are experiencing that and they're suggestible, then you would go ahead with the hypnosis. But if they weren't, you'd have to sort of build a bit of bond and, and more rapport. And 
really clear any of the blocks that are stopping them, like letting their guard down ultimately. Hmm. Interesting. So you were suggesting. I, well, I was a child. So yes, <laughs> that's, that's what he said before. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Indeed. Um, now, some of the, Dean and I checked out, you know, some of your videos and, and your website and stuff. And some of the things that you talk about, um, like taking action being the only way to, to success. What sort of action exactly are you talking about? And what do you think are the kind of roadblocks that people typically run into? I mean, without being sort of everybody know, like fear, fear is what, fear is what stops everybody, whether they know it or not. There, there's some fear of more, more often than not, it's judgment when we really dive down. And even if people say I'm, I've got a fear of failure, it's like, we are actually scared of pe what people will think if you do fail. Um, so fear of judgment is what I find to be the biggest thing that trips people up. And what I mean by take action is we've got this, mo we've got this moment in time where we're like on the fence of doing something and that fear is present. And obviously the opposite of fear is, is courage. And so it's in that, it's in that moment where we need to just, just, Focus on being more courageous as opposed to less fearful. I think people try and avoid fear, but it's always going to be there. The key is to focus on courage. And so cultivate more courage. And with as soon as you start cultivating the courage as opposed to trying to avoid the fear, that is when you're going to start sort of taking the action. And look, this is this is getting pretty deep, but this whole world we live in is is in perfect duality. So so fear and courage come together. You can't have one without the other. The same with success and failure. They're two sides of the same coin. So a lot of people will have fear come up and they'll be scared of failure. And it's like, you have to, have to, have to experience failure in order to succeed. It's, it's a universal law that cannot be avo avoided. So I, like I don't, and I'm sure you'll say the same and anyone listening or watching, we don't know what's around the corner. We, if we, if we start a new business, it's like it could fail. It could succeed. The only way to find out is to live that experience, cultivate the courage, take action. And if it does fail, it's, it, it's a lesson. It's not really a failure. Hmm. And so just massive action, consistent, massive action. Cause you fail until you succeed. Don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Dean has a friend close to him who drinks a lot. And he's always going through the whole, that's it. I'm not drinking anymore. And um, <clears throat> it happened again. And, and I said, oh, I wonder like, you know, when this cycle, like when he's going to, the cycle is going to continue and he's just going to start drinking again. And Dean said, well, you always fail until you succeed. Mm. Like, and it's the same with trying to do a thousand and whatever chin-ups that you did in 24 hours or build not, a business. Not chin-ups. Let's not, let's not undercut I'm them. I'm sorry. Anymore. Pull Thanks. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> no, pull ups. Muscle ups. This ain't no joke. Um, I recently, I'm sure the listeners are so sick of hearing me say this, but I recently started jujitsu. And um, one of the things the black belts always say is a black belt is just a white belt that never gave up. Mm. And it's so true. Like, just be consistent. You will fail. You will get choked out. <laughs> you will have days where it sucks. Mm. But the only way to get to black belt or insert idea of success here is to be okay with, with that yeah. Yeah. and just keep showing up yeah yeah i think that's what people struggle with the most though i think is showing up repeatedly in the face of failure or boredom yeah or fear like you said probably the fear of failing again 
Um, what advice would you have for people that are like that? Like the, the people that typically, okay, let's draw a parallel into our world. We know that it's not that difficult to lose weight because systematically it's just a matter of, you know, eating a little bit less or eating, burning a little bit more. However, the success rate of sustainable fat loss is absolutely terrible. Less than 5%. And I think it's because people focus more on what they should do now and less on the behavior change they require long-term to make that sustainable. Because it's boring and not enjoyable now. And there's a, a time lag between yeah. action and outcome. And like fear of losing friends and family or whatever, dissing yourself from people that are providing like, you know, reassurance to a bad relationship. Um, mm -hmm. So what sort of advice do you have to people like that that do just keep showing up and they do keep getting kicked in the shins, but they still need to keep going? Yeah. Well, I mean, to those people that do it, great greatness awaits you. Like you will experience your version of success and greatness. For those that don't, it's not the end of the world. But like you said, Dean, there are there are deeper habits that are, you know, call it self-sabotage that are stopping this. And I always talk about the four sort of biological needs that we have as human beings, which trip everyone up. And that's, I think you said um, boredom as well. Like dopamine is something that if we don't learn how to manage, it's always going to entice us. Uh, oxytocin is another thing. And, and you said as well, like losing your friends, losing connection with people. That's our oxytocin chemical. Serotonin is our significance chemical, our, our need to be recognized. And so we, we aren't going to want to fail because that's, you know, that's ultimately making us not good enough, insignificant. And the last one is, is, is cortisol. If, if that's running our life, if we're stressed, we're always going to be coming from a place of survival. We're always going to be in the fight or flight, sympathetic survival state and not making choices that are abundant and best for our future. So at what, at, if, if our chemical body is running us and we don't have the consciousness and awareness to discern, and I call it playing a spiritual game because you're out, your chemical body's either in charge or your conscious mind and your will living a greater purpose, which is ethereal. Like you can't, you can't touch it. It's in the future. It's your imagination. Ultimately, if you do not have that strong vision of the future pulling you forward, you're going to go with the short term gratification that your chemical body is built for. Mm. Mm. Sounds like a fleeting happiness conversation around food. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we're just cavemen living in the 21st century, right? And our biology hasn't quite caught up yet. And when we are, uh, you know, living in the wild and the food is abundant and we nothing is promised tomorrow, we, it, it makes sense to make decisions that feel good now, that fill us up now. Yeah. Um, because like I said, tomorrow is not promised. But we live in a different world now just with old biology. So it's really important to... The things that serve us in the future generally don't feel great now. Yeah. Like to eat the salad, to go to the gym, like don't sit on the couch with a pack of chips. Like that feels good now, but sucks later. We need to do the things most of the time that kind of suck now, but, but pay off later. But it's hard to do, especially if you're not in the habit of doing it and you haven't received any payoff yet because it feels like all this work for what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think like, I just remember when I was there, when I started bodybuilding and things like that, it, I always had, I saw in your background, you've got like Arnold Schwarzenegger's book. I always had something I was aspiring to be. I read, I had every bodybuilding magazine like stacked up to the roof and I was always consuming content from people that were living the way I wanted to live and, and being the way I wanted to be. And that constant daily reinforcement of like, keep going, don't quit, eat, like eat this, don't eat that. Without, without that, um, like you said, 
yeah, people definitely go for that, the, the caveman biology, let's call it. Um, and they don't have that, that vision. I can't stress enough. I, I am quite a visual person, but just that vision of how you want your body or your health or your financial situation or your life to be is that's why I love meditation. And when you can become so proficient at visualization, in fact, I'll share a story in a moment, but when you can become so proficient at that, that feeling becomes more powerful than the feeling to eat chocolate or hang out with your friends. And so when we, when we, when we visualize, if we get really good at it, we can actually feel what it's like to achieve that body or that goal or that dream. Now, like if we go into our, close our eyes and go into our mind and picture it and live the experience. Now our body will start to release the hormones and chemicals that are equal to that success. And we will neurologically, like our neurons will start to wire together as if it's already happened. Biologically, the chemicals will be released as if it's already happened. And we're ultimately living in the future now and, and we're we're building the mind and the body that is then capable of achieving that result so i can't stress enough how important the inside world is and i interviewed on my podcast the he was the f- number four in the world at squash and he was a, just in the top hundred just training hard grinding 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 and then he went to the australian institute of sport they taught him one visualization technique very similar to this, like picture crush, you know, picture the result you want to get before it happens. And there's tons of science on this and we can talk about it another time. But ultimately he, he went from, I think like in the nineties, 97, like quite low nineties to fourth in one, in one season. Uh, and he said it was 100%. And he said that whole season, he, he, he stepped onto the court every day going, I don't know, like it's not in my mind. I don't know how this person could possibly beat me. And he, out of a whole season, he lost two games ever. Wow. Mm. Far out. So he lived as his future self, essentially, for until, until he actually met himself in the present. Make it to you, mate. Yeah. Well. Yeah. A, a little bit. A little bit. But you're, 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 you're actually laying the foundation. The, you're, you're, you're like putting in the wiring. It's like a computer. You're putting in the software. It's like upgrading your software so that when the event actually comes, you're already prepared to handle it. I do this before any huge lifts in the gym. I've, I've never thought of it as meditation before, but I guess it is. I close my eyes. I think about like where I'm going to brace. I go kind of through the repetition in my mind and then I do it. And mm. I usually always get it. Unless you think you won't. Yeah. That's, well, if I, Sometimes I, think if I do the little meditation, when I, I'm pretty serious about bench press or was. And I used to do so many nervous wheeze before bench yeah. press. <laughs> That's how serious I took it. She would sit up and then go, one moment. <laughs> I do a nervous wheeze. <laughs> You'd be no good in CrossFit. <laughs> no, <laughs> skipping. I was say, double unders, you'd be done. Oh man, I did CrossFit for like a, a flash for, for a second. And double unders, I would always feel like, I'm so glad I haven't had a child because it's like, yeah. I feel like I need to. It's the one. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's, um, a, there's a famous CrossFit video of poor girls that do double unders mixed with box jumps. Oh, it's like, why would you do that to them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just okay. want to see urine all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're asking for it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess like our, our listeners could probably also relate to visualization before big lifts because I'm sure everyone's done some form of that. Do you relate yeah. to that at all? Yeah, I would say like, I, I think I do it subconsciously. It sounds to me too, like visualization, like I'm not actually too familiar and caught up with what technically is classified as meditation. So I'd be interested to get your, um, 
definitely outline on that too because mm -hmm. i think a lot of people just think meditation is sitting in a, a you know green grass oval and um, crossing your legs and doing all that jazz but it sounds to me like visualization almost could be somewhat of a form of meditation um that yeah, for sure. people could understand that a little bit better they might actually realize that they do it subconsciously yeah. yeah yeah for sure and i've questioned this i was like what's the difference between like hyp hypnosis meditation and uh visualization and so the i'll never forget my meditation teacher taught me that meditation means to become familiar with so if you're becoming um becoming familiar with your your lift that you want to lift your you know your bench press or, or your deadlift or whatever then you're becoming familiar with that um and then there's the type of meditation where you're literally just becoming still there are so many different types it wouldn't be worth like diving into all of them but the core difference i would say with meditation and visualization visualization is like really really specific you can do uh, a type of visualization like mental rehearsal so that would be i did a lot with crossfit that's what you're doing you're mentally rehearsing the lift usually it involves a motor pattern so they they did a study with they've done it with pianists they've done it with basketball players where they they got a group of basketball players basketball players they all shot hoops from the, the free throw and they were in three groups and then one group went away and practiced basketball shooting shots then the next one did visual like visualization only and the last group did no rehearsal and the no practice group when they retested sucked the visual group did come second and the physical group did come first, but it was by like one shot or one point. And uh, they've done studies with piano players and a lot of piano players will just play in their mind. They won't even play. Uh, chess players, there's the top, the world's best chess player. He's got some fantasy name like Casanova or something. <laughs> he, he, he won, he was like world champion for ages. And then some guy came along and beat him and didn't play any chess leading up to the world the world's biggest chess match and everyone was like what are you doing and he's like i've beaten him already in my mind and every day in his mind he would just play chess in his mind i think it was casanova and he just came along and, and beat the world's best chess player so it so that's 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 visualization meditation for me is more reflective it's more it's more feeling into the body what emotions are present um healing doing sort of healing meditations on body parts and I've seen, if I shared some stuff with you, it would blow your mind about people. I've seen a lady, I'll just, this is the most extreme, but she was blind in one eye. And I was on a week long meditation camp. And during one of the meditations, she got vision back in her eye. Um, so she had never had it before, never had vision her whole life. And she got vision in her eye. What do you think so, the reason was? Well, it depends how you want me to explain it from the spiritual standpoint or from the like scientific standpoint. There's um lose the audience if you <laughs> explain it from the spiritual standpoint. Don't you think? I don't know. Uh, whichever way you think, maybe. Both. Well, there's a couple of good books to read. There's the Biology of Belief by um, Bruce Lipton, and then there's the Placebo Effect by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And the, the the placebo effect ultimately is well and truly proven. Where you know you could take um, sugar pills for uh, some disease. And you could have, you could have a, two groups, a, a group that has real pills, a group that has sugar pills, and almost every test, identical results. So it's the belief that the pill is working. And you can even do this with physical surgery. So if you've got 100 people that need um, like arthroscopy knee surgery, and half of them actually have the surgery, the other half 
they get the incisions, they go under, they get the incisions, but they have zero surgery, bring them out. And again, the, it, the same percentage of people are going to feel like they've got the benefit of the surgery. There's another book by um, Dr. John Sano called Healing Back Pain, which is he scanned backs for his whole life. And there are people in back with back pain that um, have zero symptoms on MRI and imaging. And then there are people with no back pain who have got messed up. And when you understand the placebo effect, this is going down the scientific route. We, we, one, we have the ability to control our, our genetics through epigenetics, which is ultimately the environment we build for ourselves to, to produce. We, we, people used to think it was genetically done. It's, it's not, it's done from our mind and an epigenetic marker, which then triggers the gene to, to, the gene is like the blueprint to, to form in a cell in a certain way. We can control all of that with our mind. And so the, the, the healing is, it's a belief. It is a belief that you have. That's why people with like uh, multiple personalities, so they, their eyes change color when they are a different personality and they'll have, they'll have scars on their body that when they, you know, they spend a month being a certain person, the scar disappears. When they spend another month being another person, the scar reappears. It is all a, uh, beliefs are in our consciousness, in our mind. And when, when that, when that, and I'm not talking about the brain, I'm talking about the mind, which is beyond the organ of the brain. When that belief, when that level of consciousness shifts, the, the, the physical body will adapt and change with it. God, there's so like hundreds of crazy examples of both placebo and nocebo in the literature that would just absolutely blow people's minds. Like, like the surgeries you're talking about, even phantom pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that you can use your understanding of placebo or nocebo to your advantage in coaching? In coaching. Or do you think it's ethically like... Maybe let me give you a couple of examples. Carla. Carla's a good example. So she's got a fused spine. So if everyone listening, Carla was the person that introduced us ultimately. She's got a fused spine and she has limitations with it. And I said, is this something you want to explore? Because I, I'm telling you, the world that we've been brought up to believe in isn't the, the full spectrum. If you, you know, you're in control of this. And she, you know, she does want to explore it. Now, I, it's out of my league. It's not my specialty is helping people with their health at that level, but I would definitely put her onto the people that I've learned through because I, I've healed scars on my body. Like I, I know how incredibly powerful the process is. Would I take someone else through it? Probably not, but I would guide them in the right direction. I actually sent a girl uh, and she was on my podcast as well to the week long retreat I did. She had stomach problems and it's, this is going to sound crazy and to all the listeners just just listen to this with an open mind. So I sent her to this week long retreat. It was in the U S and you do a lot of meditating and she was under part of the meditations you can apply to have a healing. So she applied for a healing. And so you go out of the room and everyone's out of the room. There's about a thousand of us there. 800 of us are outside of the room and the 200 people being healed are in the room. We go outside and meditate and they measure the energy in the room and the energy in the room gets to a certain point. We then re enter the room and we have, uh, eight people to one person and you form a cage around them, one at the head, one at the feet and three on either side. And we put our hands into their energetic field, which is part of the electromagnetic spectrum. It's measurable. This isn't woo woo. 
Um, it's like a heart rate monitor, right? It, it can pick up on the, the, that as well. So we put our hands there in an energetic field and we meditate again. And so I've been to the event and I've done it. I didn't get a healing. And, and I'm telling you the most fucking crazy shit happens. Talk like exorcism style. It's, it's nuts. People convulsing and all sorts of stuff. But my friend, um, uh, Annabella, so she went and, and got a healing. And I'm going to say this, but please keep an open mind. These entities, ultimately spirits, entered her body and took control of her. And they popped her shoulder out like she was convulsing. She was like gone. And then they tried to bring her out of the meditation. The rest of the people had finished, but they couldn't get her out. And these entities were saying to her, uh, don't, let them, don't let them wake you up. We're not finished. Anyway, they put chairs around her. And I've, there's photos of it, chairs around her. And she eventually got pulled out of it. And the entities were like, we're going to be back tonight. Like, we're not finished. So she was there with her mom. She, it was the last day. She went, she went to the Airbnb they were staying in that night. And her and her mom were sharing a bed. And she said to her mom, look, they said they're going to come back tonight. So if anything happens, like, I'm totally fine. They're, you know, like, they're good spirits, let's say. Uh, and she went to bed. And she said she just felt herself going into that, that state. And the entity said, like, you know, we're coming in. She started convulsing in her bed. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this, went through this whole healing process, was just being thrown around like a rag doll. Um, she was still sort of conscious. So she said to her mom, like, I'm fine, don't worry. And she was just getting tossed around and she had her healing. And um, like I did a full episode with her. She's a good friend of mine. Like it's, it's yeah, once you see this stuff and, and, and realize that this is actually real, you just can't live in the normal world again um, the same way. Well, uh, the interesting thing is, I know you say like uh, to people like just wait and have a think and like and trust mind. me, this is an open mind. The reality is, is if you had just taken this same story and said, "Oh, they went to an ayahuasca camp," you know, or did mushrooms, everyone would be like, "Oh, that's really interesting." But I yeah. think it's because people, me included, because I'm very black and white, very like what I see is what I see. I don't see beyond it. Um, is that people don't realize the depths of where your brain and thoughts and all that can go like I'm open to the idea of it working under these under like the influence of some form of psychedelic because I can't personally latch into that. But I think if it exists with uh, like a chemical manipulation, then it has to possibly exist without it. Although that chemical manipulation may actually be occurring anyway, just through very, very means through some sort of meditation. Yeah. Through meditative yeah. means. Yeah. Well, our, our pineal gland is ultimately a little chemist. So our pineal gland, which I mean, I don't know if you've heard that, you know, do you tell people to drink like alkalized water, not with no fluoride in it? No, no, not something. So like the pineal gland is, is our little magical, they call it like the miracle molecule. So our pineal gland can secrete. Um, when you take ecstasy, that, that those secretions, our pineal gland can do, it can release MDMA. All of these chemicals can be built inside our pineal gland and released we've just never so so back there's a period of history missing but back in ancient times this was known and this was practiced that's why you have shamans that's why like even through ayahuasca but with with meditation now and it's all recorded you can you can um release these secretions yourself and have these uh let's call them spiritual experiences whatever you want to call them so i i would just for anyone who's curious, who's like, well, this could benefit my life. I would, there's heaps of resources to read about it and then go and experience it. Hmm. And do you think everybody has the capability and capacity to reach it? 
Or is it at varying levels, just like most things? If, if you're mentally uh, open, open to, to it, it yeah. perhaps. Yeah, exactly that, I think. It's, it's like anybody can do it, but not everybody will do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like DMT is natural, so. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the, a book that I read recently, who was the author? It's called The Irrational Ape. Who wrote that? Anyways, they talk about uh, the physiological reasons why people have these not all spiritual experiences, not specifically the ones we're talking about, but why people kind of like feel entities or see ghosts or have these. Yeah. And, and it kind of explains it in a, in a way that I think people who are closed to more spiritual circumstances might understand. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting space. I think the, let's call it like the physical health space, like encompassing nutrition and yourself and osteopaths and all that, because a lot of even the science world, so like chiropractors, osteopaths, and those that treat individuals with manual therapy are now starting to tap further into the psychology of pain than they mm -hmm. are in the physical manipulation. The so biopsychosocial Yeah, model. exactly mm -hmm. that. And like um, a good friend of ours, Nick Papastamatis, who runs... Uh, I, know Nick I know Nick very well. Ah, man, he's the best. Yeah. Side note with him. He looked... Do you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Uh, I've seen it. I snapped my collarbone and I watched a couple of episodes while I was healing a couple you of months ago. Going. Just Google Agent Pimento and then okay. tell that isn't Nick. He looks exactly it's, like Nick. Exactly the same. I'm going to do it now while we're talking. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah, go yeah, Agent Pimento. And um, I was talking to him thing? about centralized pain the other week uh, with a client of mine who essentially just has pain that he cannot get around. Um, and, and he yeah. said, oh, it's, I'm nervous. It sounds like central pain, which essentially is meaning he's saying to me, that's mainly going okay. to be controlled by his mind. I and see a smile on your face. Have you looked at him? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at him now. <laughs> he looks so much like Nick, doesn't he? Yeah. I think he looks more tan than Nick, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're on a holiday. <laughs> I gave him a side by side and then sent it to one of his guys, Rich. And Rich just lost his shit and then sent it into the whole like work group. group <laughs> uh, Sorry, go on. Uh, but yeah, that was the point. Is that, yeah, he was talking about centralized pain and how that seems to be the, the toughest thing that he currently deals with as a practitioner. Because it's kind of like us. Like we say, oh, I want to lose weight. No worry. A plus B equals C. Go do that. But the management of the individual within their like sort of you know in, environment is what is what uh, but, controls it, right? And he's the same. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's a few things, and we might we may disagree here. I don't know, but because I was helping people lose weight and get fit, right? And, and there are some people you give the perfect prescription to and they wouldn't do it for whatever reasons. And so I was like, okay, they've got, there's something else at play here because they're eating the food, they do it, but, but there's something not working. And then I, would, I realized that sometimes it was their mindset. Like if they were carrying guilt, they were probably carrying weight. Like a lot of people that have guilt from their past will carry weight. A lot of people that um, have any emotions within, like depressed people, people with depression can sometimes struggle to shift things more. So I started to realize as well that emotions played a role with how uh, effective the physical, let's call it prescription, the dose was. And then, and then I, through training people again, I was like, well, the physical prescriptions, right? Their mindset's pretty good. And that's when I sort of came across the, the next realm if you want to call it, which is what I call the spiritual realm, which is the, it's the, it's what you, it's what you can't see. And I'm not sure how your book explained it with the, the ape book, but for anybody just wondering, like just learn about the electromagnetic spectrum and you've got the colors of the rainbow 
and you've got red to violet, but under red is infrared, over violet's ultraviolet. We can't see that, but it's there. And that goes on and on and on times a million. Like it just goes on and on. So there's all these frequencies and energies around us that we just literally can't tap into with our humanness. We need something more. And that's the realm that I would start to call the spiritual realm because we, our five senses can't really pick it up. Where would you suggest if someone was really interested in the electromagnetic spectrum, what are some resources that they could look into? Uh, I just Google the shit out of stuff. And when I can't understand, I Google and Google and Google and I'll just, just Google. (laughs) I just Google everything and read like scholarly articles, even though I can't really understand them, but I try and get as much as I can. Um, I just use Dr. Google until until a book comes up, but the electromagnetic spectrum has taken me a few years of Googling to fully understand how it really works and what it really is. Mm. Mm. So the space of unfathomableness. Unfathomableness. Yep, that's a new word. Mm. I like it. If you Google that, Google it for long enough, you'll find it somewhere. (laughs) Now, the next question I have for you, John, is you talk a lot about building a success mindset. And I feel like I know what that is. I'm sure Dean has another interpretation of what he thinks it is. But so there's no kind of Chinese whispers. Tell me what you what you mean by that. What would be your definition? Yeah, it, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a d- definition. A success mindset is the mindset you need to achieve what you want to achieve in life. I would say that's the definition because a lot of people have dreams and very... I, I did a, a bit of research the other day in goal setting. About 3% of people achieve their goals. And... That's not reason, Like, no, that's really not a lot. And... The, the, the paradigm, the way I see the world, I put it down to mindset. So there's like 97% of people would not have a success mindset because they set goals and they don't achieve them. And so there are like layers to it. It's like you've got to know what you want first and foremost. And then quite a lot of the time we have to become someone new to achieve our goals. Otherwise we're inside our comfort zone. And, and, and that's where most people push up against resistance and, and stop. Whereas if we understand that our mind is malleable, it's neuroplastic, meaning we can literally rewire it to form a new identity, a new belief system. Um, we can, we can achieve our dreams. Of course we can. And so that's the success mindset is going, I want that, but I have no idea how I'm going to have it. I need to mold this character, this person I am, so that I'm, I be, like, not only do I believe, but I have the tools and the strategies in order to achieve that, that dream or that goal. Which is really where a good coach can come in handy. Mm. Yeah, so it's filling the space between uh, the disconnect between the goal and the action. Yeah, or yeah. knowledge and action. Yeah. So James Clear in his book, Atomic Habit, talks very similar like, to what we're talking about right now. Um, you know, I want to reach this goal, but I'm not sure exactly how to get there. And, and you mentioned identity um, just just recently. And James Clear talks about habit change as in three different spectrums with people think what I need to do is I need to change the behavior and then eventually my identity will change. But he says, no, it's inside out. You need to change your identity mm. first. I'm the type of person that goes out and chooses the good option on the menu. I'm the type of person that doesn't smoke. I'm the type of person that... I don't know, spends within my means or something like that. So we need to change the beliefs we have of ourselves. Just like you said, we have a malleable mindset or all our minds can be changed. Or what was the wording that you used? It was way more articulate. Neuroplastic. Yeah, <laughs> neuroplasticity. There you go. Um, yeah, and and I think that 
James Clear's ideas of how we can change our habits and I mean, I guess our little habits over time kind of make us who we are. Yeah. And this, we're in this position right now because of all the millions of little choices that we've made. And mm. it starts with identity first, not last. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get in life equal to who we believe we are. So if we believe that we're a cleaner, we're literally going to wake up every day and go and clean things. And until that belief changes, like I even something simple, like I believe I'm more than the cleaner, that's, the, that's a starting point. But there was a point in time where I was in the fitness space. I was running an online fitness program and I'd done hypnotherapy and I wanted to move into the mindset space. So the mindset space was my future, but my old self was in the fitness space and my identity was split. And people would ask me, what do you do for work? Because I guess your, your vocation is kind of your, one of your biggest anchors to your identity. And so I would say, oh, I'm like, I'm like a fitness coach, but I'm also like a little bit of mindset coach. And I carried that identity and I carried the energy of that identity, which was a bit torn and split, unsure. Both businesses were like failing. And I was, I, I needed to make a clear cut, like who am I and what do I do? And so that I decided in that day that no more fitness. So I was working part-time at a CrossFit gym. I rung the guy, I was like, I'm done. I am no longer a CrossFit coach. Like it is not part of my identity to my online fitness business, I said, I made a decision to sell it. And so I eventually found a seller. It took a while, but I, I, I said, I am no longer, like I am not a CrossFit coach or a fitness instructor. I was working with movie stars when they came to the Gold Coast to work on films. I would, I would train them as their trainer. And I rung my friend up who got me all the gigs. And I was like, dude, I don't want any more gigs training celebrities. I, that is not me anymore. And as soon as I did that, you know, and I say to people, it, it becomes real when you change your Instagram bio. And I using your Facebook status. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got to keep up with the, the young ones now. So <laughs> I changed my bio and I got rid of all of like that, that, that fitnessy stuff. And I said, mindset coach. And it, that's when it all started to become real. That's when my content became mindset. And it was through that shift in identity that I changed careers and, you know, changed my life, so to speak. Mm. I love that. Yeah. That's really cool. Is that why before we started recording, I said, oh, we'll just see where the podcast goes. You can take your shirt off. You're like, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. Now that you've moved away from fitness, you don't want to show off your physique anymore. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you mean to tell me there's no calendar for the mindset coaches? Like there is for the Yeah, we, we need a mindset coach calendar. You guys can just show up with big brains. I reckon. I reckon. It's, not, it's not a big brain. <laughs> It's a well-condensed brain. <laughs> oh, I was about to drop a 9-9 joke about wet yeah, brains, but yeah. you wouldn't get it because you don't watch 9-9. you got to get back on it. No, <laughs> I think that reverse engineering of identity, the identity you want to withhold is probably one thing that a lot of people fail with, you know, the ability to foresee the, you're capable of it, you know. I um, had a call with a client, what is today? Thursday. Wednesday. Um, Wednesday. Oh, yeah, is it? Yeah. Gosh, I don't even know what, which way's up. Uh, on Monday, I had a call with her two days ago and she said to me, I'm the type of person that <clears throat> when I find a food that I like, I'll just keep eating it. I have no portion control. I'm the type of person who blah, blah, blah. And I said, Hey, like, why don't we work on this? What type of person would you rather be? Okay. Now when faced in this situation, repeat to yourself, I'm the type of person who practices portion control, whatever, whatever. And she kind of laughed and she was like, that's so not me. That's not true. And I said to her, like, it's not true until you build evidence that it is. And the first few times it's going to be very challenging because you have this preconceived idea that I'm the type of person that X, but you need to start putting evidence in the favor of your new identity. 
and mm -hmm. then you will start to believe it. So of course, mm -hmm. at first you might feel like a fraud. It's not true. I don't know if I can, mm -hmm. but we just need to prove to ourselves that it is and you can. Mm -hmm. Another good question. So, so this is where NLP is great for all of this stuff because NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. So it's, it's linguistically programming their neurons, their mind. So a good question is when did you, when did you decide that? So if she's like, I'm, that's not me. You can say, when did you decide that? Cause she wasn't born with it. So yeah. there would be a, there would be a moment in time. And this is what she'd probably say. She'd be like, Oh, I've always been like that. Okay. That's what everyone says. And it's like specifically, when did you decide that? Cause you weren't born with it. And it'll be hard for her because she would have become unconscious of when she formed that identity. But when you can get, there'll be, there'll be an event. I guarantee it. There'll be some event. Her mum would have said to her, make sure you eat all your dinner. There would have been some event where she made the decision and remember, it would either be repetition or a very significant emotional time. Maybe she got belted for not finishing her dinner or something. Uh, or it was just repeated, repeated, repeated in the family. She would have decided that that was true because that's how beliefs are formed. And so if you can get to like, when, when specifically did you decide this? If you can discover that event and shed awareness on why she made that decision and the fact that it, it, it isn't actually true, but you did it at that time based on survival to survive. That's why we, we form these beliefs and shed light on that massive awakening. Like, Whoa, hmm. that's, that's, that's not even true. Like I made that up because I thought my, you know, I, I just thought that's what we did. So yeah, getting to the root of when decisions are made is, and, and shedding light on the truth of the matter is can be really life changing. Mm. That's a really interesting tool. I'd never thought of asking that question before. Cool. Because then they have Thank to like you. actually talk to you about when that identity was. Yeah. Well, made. I guess it would be like, when did you learn the alphabet? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and it would be <laughs> ridiculous to say like, I was just born knowing it, but that's not true. We're not born mm -hmm. knowing anything. Right, Dean, this is actually something we clash over. <laughs> <laughs> <It's true. laughs> Maybe not a topic for today. <laughs> uh, now we've got some, some questions to wrap up with, if that's okay with you. Mm, yeah. Ooh. Um, first, no, are we going to normal questions or something we're sharing? Oh, it's something we're sharing. Yeah. Go on. We typically get towards the end of the podcast, mate, and we ask them if people have something worth sharing. And that can be like a piece of advice, a piece of material, some form of course. Yeah, book. Anything you think that essentially is going to be valuable to the listener. Could be one of your courses. Could be. When's this being released? Um, we never know. No, it's being released, not this Monday coming, but two Mondays after that. Three Mondays What's from that, like now. A, okay, like... Under a month. Yeah. Um, oh, there's so much worth sharing. Uh, look, get the book from get the book. You are the placebo from Dr. Joe Dispenza. That I would say is something worth sharing because it will, it will, it will help you if you're if you're in that if you're an athlete because of maybe injuries. It just shows how beliefs shape your physical body, and that for someone trying to lose weight, it's going to demonstrate that, and it starts to introduce you to the ethereal spiritual call it what you want the, the world that we can't see um but also i'm super excited because i'm actually launching a new program and honestly it's going to be so badass and we all get to it's called unlock your hero and it is about building let me let me let me pitch you and let's see how this goes so if you were a fictional character who would you be definitely jasmine from um yeah you, you started Aladdin. before you even finished Aladdin. Aladdin? Yeah, yeah, Aladdin was my yeah. childhood crush and I always wanted to be <laughs> Okay. Maybe I, see, I can Apple see it crush. in you. I can see it in you. <laughs> and yourself, Dean? 
have no idea. Dean's not a very creative fellow. This is a hard question for you. Well, that's that's a limiting belief that he can become creative, and yeah. I can. You know, ask me when I felt like this, please, John. Well, let just a little exercise. I I I typically haven't been creative from the military. Very like, but I did an exercise the other night to unlock more creativity, and I I have my dreams of what I want. And I wrote down five different ways that dream can come into reality, but completely fictional out of this world. Like, you know, aliens come down and they give me all the answers. Like I wrote that. And the next day, dude, my brain was alive again. I was like, I was at, you know what? The next day I came up with this program. So <laughs> this is, this is crazy. So just, just a fictional character. Anyone, anyone, the incredible Hulk. I don't care. I'll just be super. Yeah. Let's go super cliche and say Hercules. Okay, that's a, that's I, don't even, I don't even know what he does. I'm judging you. So I don't even know what he does though. I just know him. <laughs> okay, so he he lifts things up. Um, <laughs> so now you, you you've got your fictional character, and I'm going to give you two options. And which one would you choose? You option one is you have cool weapons and you have some special items, but you have no uh, courage, no heart, no vision, no passion, no love. Or option two is you have no weapons, no special items, but you have courage, love, heart, passion, and vision. What would you choose? Option one or option two? Skip right now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Don't you think? No. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll keep that to myself then. Um, definitely the latter. I'm choosing option two as well, for yeah. sure. Option two. Okay, so if you chose option two, keep listening. So... <laughs> So we all know that it's, it's, it's our character that makes us successful. It's not, it's not what we have essentially. It's, it's a character that has the courage to step forward in the face of fear, has the, the, the vision so that we don't get lost, has the love. So we have empathy um, for those we, we want to look after and protect. So I want to invite you on a five day quest to unlock your hero. It's a free, it's a free five day quest. And we're going to dive in and we're going to unlock, Dean, we're going to unlock your creativity. We're going to unlock the parts of yourself that are not fully expressed so that you can achieve your goals. Would you, like to, would you like to come on the quest? Sure. Is it just him taking mushrooms in a bedroom? The hilarious thing is, is that I've often said, Maybe. I think I need to try mushrooms so that I can unlock some of the shit that I don't know exists. I've always said creativity is a skill. <laughs> We're down me, your, your so yes. quest. We okay, so I will, I'll, share, I'll share one other thing quickly. So that morning, I, the next morning I woke up, I did have a microdose of Jeez. mushrooms and I came up with this, this whole idea. And so I am... I'm obviously a, like a, a good coach, but co the coaching space can be quite monotonous. So I've, I've literally built this, this program uh, and it's, it's, got, it's got game theory in it. So you, you do tasks that unlock points, which you can spend on your character. So there are tasks like creativity tasks where you would go and you would post that task in the Facebook group, the creativity, and then I would give you the you know, 200 points to spend on your character. So you can... And it's quite cool. Like if I showed you the dashboard we're working with, you'll, you'll type the points in and you can see your, um, the creator is one of the, we're working with 10 archetypes. There's the innocent, you know, the lover, the warrior, the sage, the magician, the jester, the creator, the seeker, the ruler, uh, and the jester. And you will see your creator. If you do that task and post the homework, you'll see your creator actually go to the next level. And so it's a way we can tangibly measure 
people unlocking the parts themselves that they've repressed for so long. That's cool. I'd buy the bigger shield. Yeah, you would. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you would want the points, just to buy bigger tools. I'll be in there talking about this moment that I met this girl in Sydney and she told me I had no creativity. And ever since then, I've just had this complex that I'm just not a creative guy. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that was the moment that you decided. Uh, <laughs> Mr. 2 plus 2, uh, over here. <laughs> no, she sounds really cool. So is that being released soon? Uh, it'll be in the, yeah, the next month or two. I just bought the domain name, Unlock Your Hero. It's get, all getting built out. And I'm actually getting a costume. I'm going to go all in. That's why I'm, I told you I'm getting a new backdrop for this room. It's going to be like this mythical backdrop. So I'm not just a black head if I wear black uh, with like, with like plants and stuff hanging down. So it's kind of mythical. I'm getting a costume fully made and designed and well, Aladdin. I'm getting an, I'm no, dude, not Aladdin. <laughs> He's not cool enough. Uh, oh, <laughs> sorry, 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 Eddie? Jasmine. What is my but, <laughs> the, Probably hey, if you've seen, to. if you've seen Assassin's Creed, it'll be like, it'll have that kind of theme. If you know that at all. I don't, uh, it's, I don't know enough about it. Yeah. He, he's a badass. Mm. And my wit, you'll, you'll see. It's kind of cool. <laughs> okay. It's not Aladdin though. But. but will it be a costume from the hips up? Because that's what the camera can see. You're going to like go all out. I'll go all out. I'll go all out. Because it'll be, I'll use it for like the promo video. I'll use it for content. Like it'll be, it'll be something I embody and, and, and use when I'm even running events in person when we, when we can kind of do that properly again. Cool. I look forward to seeing your costume. Funnily enough, I actually wore an Aladdin costume to a uh, Disney party once. If I saw you in that costume, you would have run away. Would have been. Would have been game over. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, go on. All right, so we've got something we're sharing. We had a couple of fun questions. Well, somewhat, and then uh, a would you rather at the end. So, first question is: uh, If you lost your ability to speak, what would you do? Ooh. As in for for work, what would I do? Yeah. I would write. I'd become an author. Okay. What would you write about? Um, well, I would think my first book would be around the mindset and I like ratios, like the traits, like creativity and things, the amount of, of ratio, like creativity versus resilience. Like what would be the ratios to succeed in sports? What, and I would interview written interview like athletes and find out the ratios that people have that's an idea i've got so that's where it would start and then i would probably write about being a mute author <laughs> yeah that'd be cool it's good I like it. good answer uh what love language would you choose in a partner if you could acts of service so the reason that we asked this question is actually i think the five love languages was the first book i ever read cover to cover um, and I really liked the book and I, I told Dean about the five love languages and he saw the thing on your Facebook about blah, blah, blah. IG. And I said, or IG, and I said to Dean, what do you think your love languages were? And I think we have the same love languages. We're married by the way, which I think is really helpful in a romantic relationship because, Massively. uh, gifts does not even register on my radar. I'm not even sure if that's a real love language. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't imagine if he tried to give me things and didn't want to, and like, cause mine's active service and probably quality time and same with yep. him. I just couldn't imagine being in a relationship with someone that doesn't speak the same love language. It would just be so difficult. Yeah. My last partner was 
pretty much gifts and I was acts of service. And this is why we broke up. So we went through the love languages and we went through another process. I talked about the biological needs earlier, like um, dopamine and all that and how we can meet each other's needs. And she said to me, she said, I'm not your slave because I wanted her to do little acts of service. And she completely missed the point of a love language. And so we, we literally broke up and it was amicable, but the, yeah, it just, it wasn't happening. And, and I'm the same as you two quality time and acts of service. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think that gifts is a love language? Yeah, I do. Do you? I think, and and we have to respect other people's love languages, even though we, even though we like, don't believe they're like, true. You know what? It's like you know what, physical touch not a love language. Actually, like so, gifts not a love language. What if, I can't remember the last no, one. No, no, like, like this is the only two words of affirmation <laughs> is the last one. Yeah, I find that one awkward. Yeah, we're not a wordy couple either. Hmm. Um, no, the re the reason that I'm not sure that gifts is a love language. I mean, I'm not saying it's definitely. Not, I'm just questioning it. Uh, but is it more the act of giving the gift no, than no, the gift itself? Yeah, is because I perhaps the act, when it's people, the act of giving it. Yeah, but perhaps when people are giving a gift, what they're trying to do is add value to someone's life. Um, do you think that's? Should I? Would you correct that? I might. I don't think that's wrong, but I would probably add to it that I think the so the the acts of uh, the gifts is. When you receive the gift, it's like, oh, they were thinking about me, or oh, they care about me, oh, they love me. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, like to add the value to their life. I think it's just a message to them in their brain that. And again, when did you decide that? Like, find out when this started for them because they they would have seen it growing up, or they would have had, you know, their parents always bought them presents, and so they, it's it's a belief. They've got a belief that that's how you receive, that's how you give and receive love, and so. I would just say that it's, it's, it's the, that's in their brain is registers like tick. I'm receiving love right now. Not necessarily. I'm receiving a gift. That's going to add value to my life. Okay. I recognize my bias in rejecting that as a love language because, um, I when did that, when did that begin? Oh, well, <laughs> when did that happen? This question. Yeah. So my dad used to give me stuff instead of spending time with me or actually being a dad. So I recognize my bias in rejecting that love language. Um, and I hadn't really thought of that love language in the way that you've worded it. I do think though that some people might actually give a gift because they think I'm adding value to someone's life or I want them to know that I'm thinking of them, but maybe that's just an act of service reinvented. I don't know. I think it's still right. I think that's absolutely, if someone is more maybe rational and like masculine or, or functionally minded, they're going to go, well, this person can put this to good use. You know what I mean? And so it's, <laughs> it's still an act of love from the, from that, from that angle. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So obviously yeah. if we have neuroplasticity, do you think that a love language is malleable? Yes. hundred percent, hundred percent. And the more the less, so, so, so like a bit of spiritual talk, like judgment is kind of the thing that keeps us less spiritual. So if we can appreciate and accept, we're getting closer to, to wholeness and, and, and togetherness. And so, if we, if you, is your dad still around? Yeah. Jasmine? Yeah. Oh, I like it. Yes, Mr. So, Jones. So if you, far more suggestible <laughs> if you did some work around like with your dad and have the conversation, but this, this is the yeah. fucking problem. <laughs> I will not talk to him. He was not invited to my wedding. <laughs> so that like there's some, I'm just saying there's there's some healing to do and you'd find that if you 
if you broke down that judgment or that barrier that you have for your dad, you'll, you wouldn't reject that love language. So someone who's quite done a lot of personal development work, they won't have a specific one. They will appreciate all because they won't have biases or judgments uh, and like concrete beliefs. They'll be very like in this moment, a gift would, you know, mean the world to me in this moment, as opposed to I'm really rigid in what I perceive to be, you know, a, sh a showing of love. Mm, okay. See, that's me. So it's malleable. What's you? And that I can appreciate all of them at varying times. Do you hope to get to a place where you don't have a love language and you can appreciate them equally? Um, yeah, but I mean, even for me, that scares me because I know what's involved in doing that. Um, yeah, I, I do have appreciation for them, but I'm still biased okay. Be because of my functional mindset is like, what's the point in a gift? You know what I mean? So, so... <laughs> I, I, it's, it maybe scares me a little bit. That's because I would have to change my identity. There's part of me, there's a belief in me about me that I would have to shift. So mm. do I hope to get there? I've never thought about it and it scares me to think about. So it's maybe something I should explore. Okay. But yeah. maybe not a priority because you're happy with your current identity. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I feel like mine have potentially shifted with varying <laughs> partners and varying times in my life. Naturally. Mm. Like mm. They, they literally have been malleable to the scenario that I'm in because I'm not really biased. I don't think towards them other than I definitely think acts of service is probably my primary one, but I for sure could have moments in time where like quality time isn't necessary for me to feel close to that person. Mm -hmm. So that can change too. Okay. Depending on how annoying I am at the time, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like a very, <laughs> I'm a very neutral human. Yeah. So I kind of go both ways. You are very, I'm about as, he doesn't as, have feelings. I'm vanilla. <laughs> Liz used to call me. <laughs> you are very vanilla. All right, shoot. Not French vanilla, though. Uh, no, no, it's way too we're exciting. Not We've got a game. Oh. This is called Shitty Choices. For the people that are listening, they can't see it. This was actually a gift from this someone. A gift. <laughs> all the time. It actually wasn't. It was a gift. It was a secret Santa gift to somebody who was traveling. And couldn't take it. Couldn't with take them. it. So, we so got it was re-gifted. Double win. All right, so Double Shitty win. Choices. It's a card game. And would you rather it's just A would you rather or B? They're, they're not good. Would you rather only be oh. able to listen to Nickelback songs or B, reread all 56 pages of iTunes Turns and Conditions every day for the rest of your life? Option one. Yeah, you'd have to because you can't get any learning. Only be able to listen oh, to here's, Nickelback here's songs. Here's a good one. No, let's, yeah. do, let's do this yeah. one. <laughs> I hate re I hate. I hate... I hate terms and conditions. I never read. Them. I never read them anyway. So to do that, <laughs> get lost. I just have the volume down really low on Nickelback. Let's roll with this instead because I think it suits the thing. Okay. Would you rather a find out for certain that there's a heaven in the afterlife, or b find out for certain that we are reincarnated back into this world after death? Wait. So what's my choice? I like both of those choices. What's you have? Wait, to choose whether, yeah. Whether or not for certain that there's a heaven, yep. or that we are reincarnated. Um, fuck roll of dice either. I'll, I'll both, uh, do you want there to be an eternal heaven? As in, so I said, so I'll go with B, but I think they're the same thing, but that's just me getting all spiritual on you now. But <laughs> I, I would go B. But how what are they the same heaven thing? Heaven in the traditional sense of what you would expect like out Christian of so like heaven. Christian heaven. How's that the same thing as reincarnation? Okay. Christian heaven is different. What's your heaven? There's a cool documentary called The Power of the Heart. And in the first scene, if you haven't watched it, it's on Gaia. Um, 
the first scene, there's this warrior and he's angry and he's killed all these people and he keeps fighting and he goes to this house of this, this wise lady. And he's like, he's like, show me the, show me what I need to do to get into heaven because I've sinned. Like I've killed all these people. And she's like, I'm not, she, he, she's like, get out of here. And he's like, pulls his sword and he's like, I'll kill you too. And then she goes to him, this is hell. And then he's like boiling with like, I'll, I'll kill you. Like, tell me. And he, she's like, this is hell. And then, and then she's like, you can kill me if you want, but you'll still be in hell. You have to live in hell every day. And he's, and then she's like, if you, if you want to understand the, you know, the, the, you know, the secret of heaven or how to get to heaven, she's like, you know, stop searching. And in the, in the animation, he like puts his sword away. And then she, she says to him, like, you're just a wounded young boy type thing. And he wants to kill her more, but she keeps going. And she's like, she's like, just sort of the moment you let go of trying to be this killer, this warrior, you'll experience heaven. And he kind of cries and breaks down. And then she's like, see, now you're in heaven. So, so I guess my belief of, of heaven is it's, it's on earth. And it's, it's a, it is a, it is a place we live when we're at peace with ourselves. Mm. Hmm. That's not what I expected you to say. But that's what were, you, what were you expecting? I'm curious. Um, well, I'd only ever thought of heaven as this, like, this kind of religious thing. I'd never thought of heaven as being at peace with yourself. So I find, re like, religion very dogmatic. And I, I, this is this cool quote, which I heard the other day, which is, you know, in religion, you worship the follower. In, with spirituality, you worship the text. So it's like, or, or the message. So a lot of religious people worship Jesus. And I know so many religious people that worship Jesus, but they, they don't do a thing like that. They just worship him. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that you, you're missing the, the whole point. Whereas with like spirituality is it's like, well, what's the message of it to, you know, love thy neighbor, all of these really beautiful things that if you truly embraced and embodied, you would have a like quite a beautiful existence. Mm. And so I think, yeah, religion is I'm not a fan of. I think it's I think it causes more separation. I think spirituality causes more unity. Mm. Well, we can't disagree with you there. And that's a lovely thing to finish up. That is a lovely thing. <laughs> um, John, if people wanted to seek your services or learn more about you or what you offer, where would they find you? Or do the five day quest. Or that. Yeah. <laughs> um, just I, I think Instagram is the best place at John Templeton Official. Um, and uh, but I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, but Instagram, I'm probably the most active on, although I haven't posted for four weeks cause I'm building this cool new program, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. You would have sunk down in the algorithm somewhere. Oh, uh, okay. I'm gone. <laughs> Wait till he pops back up though. It comes up guns blazing assassins creed with this great sword, outfit. swords drawn. <laughs> be like where this motherfucker expectations are set high John. <laughs> <laughs> Very high. Yeah. well thanks so much for coming on our podcast and um sharing that big juicy brain of yours and well, um, moderately sized <laughs> very dense brain very dense wet brain you'll laugh if you, when you watch night <laughs> thanks very much mate no i appreciate it guys you are awesome and thank you for having me <laughs>